it was always about the numbers. It was always metrics driven. He always wanted empirical data to support his his thesis or his reality distortion. <laughs> he really, you know, that is all true. I mean, Steve lived in his own little world. And hey, listeners, welcome to the 2020 show, where we try to decipher what the world past 2020 will look like. This week's episode is brought to you by Startup Dojo. Startup Dojo is an online academy that is teaching kids how to solve real-world problems through entrepreneurship. Check them out at mystartupdojo.com. Anyways, back to the show. I'm your host and 2020 grad, Angelina Reindering. Let's dive in. Chuck Goldman is a seasoned serial entrepreneur, as well as being CRO at SkyX, a company that's revolutionizing the way we manage long-range assets. He's also successfully exited multiple successful tech companies like Apparian App Management, Interactive Media Solutions, and Applied CD Technologies. Apparian helped Apple to accelerate the adoption of iOS in enterprise and was eventually acquired by BlackBerry and ArcSAM. In between his founder and C-suite roles, Chuck spent time in leadership positions at companies like Apple and Eccentric. And at Apple, he was director of systems engineering for eight years where he managed a team of over 300 engineers. During his time there, he also ran Apple's first statewide laptop deployment to over 70,000 students and teachers. So thank you so much, Chuck, for being on the show with us today. Oh, you're welcome, Angelia. It's great to be here. Thank you. Awesome. So let's jump right in. Um, So you worked at Apple from 2001 to 2009. You were there through the inception of the first iPhone. So my first question is, what was it like to be at Apple during that critical period of time? It was it was an amazing experience and one that and I'll, I'll always uh, consider to be, you know, probably the tops in, uh, in my professional career, getting to work with the executive team and actually watching Steve Jobs up on stage, uh, walking through the launch of the iPhone specifically was incredible. Uh, we had all worked very hard up to that point and... Um, you know, the iPhone has done so many different things and transformed the world in so many different ways. But Steve wanted to really nail the the initial value proposition of what this device could be. So imagine Angelie trying to figure out how to capture the functionality of the iPhone in three in only to three things. And and what are the most important three things? And and he did that uh, by saying it's it's three things. It's it's a phone. It's an amazing phone. It's the best phone you'll ever use. Uh, it is an iPod, okay? And that kind of blew people's minds. They're like, oh, my gosh, you know, I don't have to carry my iPod and a phone with me. It's one thing. And then number three is, it's he said, it's an Internet browser in your pocket, one of the best Internet browsers you'll ever use. Um, and people who are so skeptical always, they, they were like, well, how can you do that? How can you put a, a computer in my pocket and, and allow me to, you know, cruise the Internet and you know, he brought up the New York Times uh, newspaper on the iPhone screen and, you know, it was tiny and no one could read it. But then you actually just double clicked on an article and it just popped up and you could scroll and read it. And, it, you know, it's just such a mind blower. And so to be part of that and to be, be sitting in the front row, um, you know, at, at World, Worldwide Developer Conference um, in 2007 when that happened was uh, was was just a, a pretty amazing experience. So. It was great to be part of that at Apple. Right. And um, I'd love to hear more about your role specifically. Uh, sure. Tell me more about your, your your biggest accomplishments and just your experience there. Yeah. 
So I had um, I had two different major roles at Apple. One is I, I led up the laptop uh, strategic uh, initiative. So one laptop per child uh, was an initiative we launched in our education division, um, which is about a back then it was about a three billion dollar division at Apple. And my job was to create a strategy that allowed us to deploy uh, laptops to every child and do that at a uh, hopefully at a state statewide level. Um, so uh, Steve Jobs wanted us to go find a governor that would, um, you know, be uh, forward thinking enough to invest in technology uh, and to deploy laptops to every child at a, at a statewide uh, commitment. And so um, I found Governor King in Maine. Uh, he's a genius guy, and and he his vision was to uh, to give uh, the economically depressed kids in Maine a chance to become digital natives uh, using technology in schools. And so he took about $70 million, you know, from fixing, you know, public buildings and roads and, you know, kind of infrastructure spend. And he put it into the future of, of education for Maine. And um, we, we proved out Steve Jobs' thesis, which was ubiquitous compute infrastructure uh, at a state level, uh, or really at any level, can transform education, not only improve standardized test scores, but also higher order skills like presentation and collaboration skills for, for students. So that was that was my first job is, is successfully deploying these large one to one laptop initiatives, you know, and all the one to one computing. And then uh, I was asked to go uh, and create an enterprise team at Apple and the team that would ultimately end up launching the iPhone into the enterprise. And my job was to meet with fortune 500 cios and ctos and understand what they what they needed beyond their blackberry what was beyond their their mobile computing uh, platform with uh, mail and contacts and calendars um, so we introduced them to the iphone uh, so i led the inter the enterprise iphone beta program which resulted in us understanding the needs uh, to uh, plumb or build in the core requirements uh, into iOS. So things like Exchange integration, Active Directory, um, uh, you know, really things that, that consumers never really would ever need, but we knew that we needed for enterprise adoption. So we were able to get core engineering at Apple to build those into the technology, into the operating system. And it allowed Apple to have an amazing growth uh, in, uh, in, in, in enterprise with the iPhone and knock off BlackBerry and then, you know, beat Android. So, you know, because it wasn't safe to buy Android uh, phones for the enterprise and still really isn't today because of the security issues uh, that, that don't exist now within iOS, given the work that we did early in making sure that uh, the iPhone could be a first class citizen on the corporate network and that we plumbed in, you know, those core features for security and management into the operating system. So, um, so those are the two things I really did at Apple, one on the education side, one on the enterprise side. Um, and it was a great, it was a great experience. Yeah, that sounds super exciting. So I'd love to hear more. So we've, we've talked a bit about your successes and what that looked like. I'd love to hear more about your challenges. So can you maybe walk me through one of the biggest challenges you faced while you were there and uh, how you kind of reacted? Um, 
Sure. Well, you know, uh, at Apple, Apple's a consumer company, and so um, it's very hard to get core engineering to do anything that's not, uh, you know, prioritized towards the consumer. And so what we needed to do is build enterprise features in the operating system, uh, and that was very difficult. But, you know, with uh, with kind of the, the, the power of, 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 uh, of the, the, the future customer, these, these large companies who wanted to buy Apple, and then also with the help of Steve wanting to and, and Tim Cook wanting to, um, to build an enterprise business, we were able to prioritize some of the needs of the enterprise user um, over the needs of the consumer user. And iOS version 2.0 uh, was largely the release that, that our team is responsible for in terms of the enterprise upgrades. So, so, so that was the hardest thing I did at Apple. Uh, the hardest thing I did probably uh, in my career was start a company called Aperion. Uh, that was a company that uh, I led out of Apple to, uh, to create the world's first m uh, mobile application management platform. And uh, that was real, that was real tough because uh, raising money from venture capitalists are, is, is a really, uh, it's a very difficult thing to do, and then having to manage the expectations of, of VCs uh, while they, you know, literally get in your business, <laughs> and they, and they, uh, you know, they tend to uh, manage by sound bites and and not really fully understand uh, what's going on in the business enough to really be super helpful. And so, um, learning all that process, learning how to deal with VCs, and trying to build a company at the same time, that was. Uh, definitely the most excruciatingly difficult thing I've done in my career. Right. Um, right. So just to clarify the the Apple bit. Um, sure. So th the challenge there was just trying to convince the priority of enterprise to, to your engineers who are very consumer oriented. Exactly. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Yep. Okay. Right. So I'm curious to hear more about what did it look like at the very beginning? Did this start as an inter internal project at Apple and then it slowly transitioned into its own company or did you know that that was your aim and just yeah. left? Um, no, but it didn't, it didn't start as a project within Apple. It started as a, a, um, a plan uh, that, that I wanted to um, do more things outside of Apple that we could gotcha. do inside of Apple. Um, Cause we were constrained by doing things uh, inside Apple and, and Apple didn't want us doing the things that we were doing. Uh, mm -hmm. e building custom applications for for other big companies and so um, it was a perfect fit to be able to transition out and uh, you know we were backed by Steve Jobs's uh, um, iFund uh, from Kleiner Perkins it was the first uh, 200 million dollar investment fund to fund innovative companies in and around iOS and so we were the first enterprise investment that they made so it was a, it was a really cool time and a good fit but um, uh, yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't ever. A, you know, a project inside. It was a fresh new company outside. Gotcha. What did that move look like? Was there any bad blood after you left, or is it just completely smooth sailing? Um, no, it was. It was. It was well articulated, and you know, yeah. well, you know, I mean, people. People didn't. Uh, you know, we 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 needed a solution because I was trying to build. Um, networks and relationships with big companies, big SIs like Accenture, um, IBM Global Services, you know, back in 2009, no one wanted to work with Apple because no one saw Apple as an enterprise company. No one saw Apple iPhone doing anything in the enterprise at all. So they basically said, we're not interested in becoming a development partner for you. So they needed this. It, it, was, a, it was a small team. 
Um, we, we left very, very quietly, kind of stealthy, and then we opened up a period, and it was not a, uh, you know, there was, there was no, there was no uh, resentment, and, and that's why we got so much business referrals from Apple. That's how we built our business, you know, on the top of all these great referrals, and if there's any issues, then we'd never get those referrals, of course. Right. So um, looking at more at your journey at Aparian, I'd love to hear an example of a time when um, maybe you, were, you, you had like a strategy or an idea that you were certain would work, but it kind of didn't. And you're left trying to deal with that. Any? Yeah. I mean, um, the, the, most, uh, the most important example I could give you is that you know, the, the board um, wanted us to focus in on um, mobile application uh, security or, or what's called MDM, mobile device management. And we were more focused as a company on application development and management, managing the apps. And we felt, the management team and the, the, our, our, our engineers, we felt that the management of the data on the phone um, would be more important than the, the phone itself to be able to do things like remote wipe, you know, the, the phone or, or brick it or for instance. And so, so, um, you know, we, we were, we wanted to leave the, the MDM protocol um, to be just a, a general uh, function of our, of our software instead of having uh, the, the to, instead of appearing being mainly mobile device management. Um, so that was a big disagreement that we had. And uh, ultimately, you know, it, 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 it ended with me um, resigning uh, my role as CEO and transitioning into uh, a strategy officer role and then actually transitioning out of the company because I was, uh, you know, I was pretty, you know, I was pretty disenchanted with, uh, with the direction and the, the, the force that the board wanted to go in. Um, and that was not a decision that I really wanted to, uh, to do because I didn't think it's going to build the company that that was my vision of being uh, mobile application management uh, rather than in mobile device management. So is that's that's that was a painful lesson. Part of the 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 you know the, the some of the bigger decisions that, uh, that that we made. So so what were some of your takeaways coming out of that experience? I would say the takeaways uh, were mainly. Um, being more uh, uh, forceful with product management, more you know, you know, sticking to our guns more, um, and you know, defending the, you know, the the, the product roadmap um, when it comes to a very aggressive board is difficult to do, but that was the main lesson I would say is be more, uh, you know, more have more conviction around the product uh, roadmap and the cycle. But it was tough for us because we were a professional services company turned into a product company. And so I don't think that would have happened if we started as a pure product company, but that's not the way it started. So that's what we, uh, that's what we, that's what we did. Gotcha. Um, and on the flip side, can you think of an example of something that maybe, you know, you, you put some time into it, but you didn't really think that would, that it would be the next thing, but it really, it really exceeded your expectations. Um, yeah, I mean, I would say the, uh, I would say how well the, the, the apps that we built, uh, did actually, they, you know, we, I think we had something like eight number one apps on the app store. Um, and so the, 
the launch of the iPhone, just going back itself, I mean, no one had any ideas it would have been that successful. I mean, I think that, I mean, of course, Steve Jobs probably knew it was it was going to be that successful. But I, you know, everybody, it's just very hard. When I was when I was first at Apple, um, you know, he he uh, it was a small meeting, and he pulled out uh, the first iPod out of his pocket and he said I want you to introduce you guys to iPod and uh and I was I was just like it's it's an mp3 player what's the big deal like you know Sony makes them and Rio and it's like how is that revolutionary and then he said it's going to be bigger than the Mac and I was like bigger than the Mac bigger than the how can it be bigger than the Mac itself you know Macintosh um so you know just to see small things like you know turn into just you know world transformers and being part of that with the whole, you know, uh, iPhone and the mobility piece and uh, the appearing piece was a uh, was a was pretty amazing point in time. So I would say that's, uh, you know, something that surprised me, the, the success of, of uh, the iPhone itself. And then also the, the work that Appearian did on those, those early days of building those apps and how large the adoption was. I mean, American Greetings got something like five or six million new customers from the app that we built. Uh, overnight, you know, it was pretty, pretty incredible. Uh, progressive, same way, you know, lots more customers. So anyway, it was, uh, it was pretty, pretty incredible the journey. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned Steve Jobs a couple of times, so I'd love to hear more about your experience working with him. What did that look like? Do you have any, <laughs> any interesting stories? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I had limited exposure to Steve, um, but but in the several meetings I had, he was. Uh, he was always uh, um, extremely um, uh, interested and 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 uh, passionate about the work that that my team was doing, whether it was on the one-to-one laptop project or the enterprise team, the iPhone launch. Um, so you know, it it he he was a uh, he's ex- extremely terse and no no time for small chat. Uh, it was always about the numbers. It was always metrics driven. He always wanted empirical data to support his his thesis or his reality distortion. <laughs> he really, you know, that is all true. I mean, Steve lived in his own little world, and for the moment that you know he needed you, uh, you you were expected to have the numbers, and you were expected to have um, uh, defensible. Uh, and empirical data that supported the thesis and what the work you were doing. And if you didn't have that, watch out because, you know, he would, he would, he'd send you out of the room quick, you know, and it would be the end of that, uh, that opportunity to, you know, to, to interact with him. So, so I would say, you know, um, he, Steve was Apple. I mean, he, he made the company, came back and completely like on his shoulders alone, Apple is Apple because of Steve Jobs. There's no question about that. And it's not the same company since he left. Um, certainly, although Tim's done an amazing job, but uh, Steve, Steve was a one of a kind and working, you know, uh, for him and with him on a few things um, was uh, an experience I'll never forget. Yeah. So do you have some key lessons or things you'll remember after having worked with and for Steve Jobs all those years? Um, you know, back up your thesis with data as best as you can, you know, um, make it, make it, you know, make it as, as empirical and prove your, prove your points as best you can. So be, be, be sharp on the, with the data backing up your thesis. Um, I'd say that's certainly number one. 
Um, number two is um, the 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 his comment of people don't know what they what they want until you give it to them. That 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 was really interesting, and that was actually, you know, not really true because he had a a great research team at Apple that did a lot of customer surveying and data work. Um, so he knew what they wanted um, or close to what they wanted. I mean, I would say that, you know, you, you couldn't expect, you know, the, the transformations that happen with uh, things like the iPod and the iPhone uh, happening. But, uh, but, you know, getting as much customer feedback and getting as much decision support before you launch a product uh, is, is key and uh, something that actually... You know, ironically, Apple did well, but you'd never hear it because it was always about you know pulling that black cloth off the off the new product on stage and having everybody like you know uh, ooh you know goggle over it or ooh, ooh ah over it. So, um, but I would say customer research, getting the voice of the customer uh, baked into your product development cycle is really key. And um, I would say three is you know don't be like Steve when it came to like interpersonal communications. You know you don't be don't be like that because uh it just you know people you go down in history for you know being a jerk really you know and and uh he was really not a jerk it's just that's just he was just interacting with most of the people who he really didn't have time to interact with and so you know it, it was tough for him but you know i it was it was uh one of those uh um you know situations where you know i would i would not advise CEOs to act like he did. Um, so those are the three lessons I would say. So uh, I'd love to hear how have you taken those lessons or maybe whatever, whatever lesson you've learned from him or Apple in general uh, into your, into your startups. Do you have any examples of how you maybe applied some of those ideas? Um, sure. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, we, we, we live by the, really all three of them. I mean, you know, we make sure that we put a tremendous amount of time into the people that we hire, trying to understand their DNA, you know, trying to get as, it's very, it's, it's almost impossible to get to know someone in the interview process. So, you know, um, to kind of the, you know, try and buy or project or like do something with them. You at least have them out to dinner with your team, you know, before you hire them. Uh, you know, cultural fit is really important stylistically. Um, so, you know, don't hire, you know, don't hire for, for the resume alone. Um, I would say product development, we always try to fast fail and put products in, in front of, front of customers quickly and get that voice in, um, you know, as, as soon as possible, get that, uh, um, that critical, you know, market, uh, data, you know, and, and feasibility around what you're building. Because a lot of times startups sit in a room and they think they have built the best thing since sliced bread, but they really haven't. And they end up launching a product that has no market or has no value. And, you know, a product looking for a, um, or a solution looking for a problem is a really, really bad way to approach business. Um, so we don't really do that. We stay, we stay well away from, you know, trying to do that. Um, and, uh, you know, I guess the last thing is prioritization, right? And making sure you're working on the most important things at that time, at that day. Know, know your schedule in terms of, you know, know your customer. Know like know know how to prioritize. 
because there's a million things that, that you have to do when you're in a startup. And if you can't prioritize, you're going to fail. So we always learn priority from jobs. <laughs> you know, he always was amazing when it came to, you know, that's not as important as that. So do this first and do it, do it well. Um, and don't let anything, you know, you know, take you off that course if you know it's right. Like, just make sure you just say no. You know, Steve Jobs said no uh, to 99.9% of the things that he was presented with. And a lot of those are good ideas. A lot of those ideas were genius. And, you know, he just he just knew that they were just that. They were just ideas. And to actually execute and to build and to blood and sweat and tear over creating and launching products, you know, he knew that Apple could only do 1% of what, what they wanted to do. And uh, he knew how to do it well, and that's why Apple's Apple. Because he said no. That's awesome. Yeah. So now you're at Skyx. So I'd love to hear more about your story, about how you got involved with Skyx and what you've been up to. Um, yeah. Yes. Skyx is awesome. Um, and uh, Skyx is in the business of doing... Uh, using drones uh, to gather uh, long-range data, which means, you know, there's there's a there's there's companies that have long-range contiguous assets like telephone companies with telephone lines or rail, you know, uh, companies with trains and or uh, oil and gas companies with pipelines that have to move uh, oil and gas everywhere, and it's very expensive to manage these assets. So we've built a a platform at SkyX, and we use artificial intelligence to basically gather, um, you know, hundreds of thousands or even millions of miles of data from these assets. We fly over them, and then we can spot anomalies. We can spot things like, you know, whether there, you know, uh, there's a, a leak, or there's corrosion, or there's a right of way, there's vegetation growth, or, you know, in in, in the case of let's say. Um, you know, um, border patrol, there's illegal activity coming across a border, for instance, or there's, um, you know, there's there's wildlife uh, that are being poached that we're helping save. I mean, there's so many different applications. Um, and it's just amazing what the company's built. Um, they are, uh, the, they started off as Israeli drone um, squadron leaders, and they wanted to do non-military applications and bring it to commercial uh, the commercial world, so we're uh, we're blazing new trails with SkyX, and it's it's pretty amazing stuff. So we're uh, we're really thrilled with uh, the the, uh, the the projects, customers. That's awesome. So uh, have you been involved since the beginning, or did you come in later on? Uh, yeah, I've been involved pretty much since the beginning. It's been like probably four years of consulting with the CEO, just being a mentor and an advisor. Uh, and then just this past, uh, you know, uh, year, um, I've been asked to come on just as, as in, you know, as, as contract um, to uh, to help them um, uh, build up their their sales uh, pipeline. Uh, but I've been, you know, working with uh, uh, with the CEO and the, and the executive team for a number of years, which has been great. Um, and now it's just it's starting to see the company grow and take off, which is super exciting as well. That's awesome. <laughs> take off pun intended yeah no pun intended, <laughs> no pun intended. the sky's the limit you get this, tons of them yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right um yeah so right now we're in the middle of a global pandemic so i'd be curious to hear if 
um, you have currently experienced any shifts in strategy or focus as a result of this unique situation or maybe are considering new ideas because of the time in the moment? Yeah, um, there's been a lot of different things I've been thinking about in terms of the, the future of work and how this pandemic has changed, not just work, personally, our, our, our personal lives. Um, you know, it's, it's a blessing and a curse. You know, families have, who haven't been together, you know, kids in college or even kids who've like moved out and all of a sudden they're, you know, there are a lot of, lot of, a lot of families have had months now to, to spend together. And that's definitely a blessing and a curse, but um, you know, those who have uh, uh, kept a good attitude and, and uh, you know, being able to be with family has been pretty amazing. Um, and I think it's a it's a rare occurrence that uh, people have been given this time to spend with family, so that that's that's one on the on the on the home side. Um, on the work side, I think we've we're going to forever forever change the way we work. I mean, um, a good example is um, there's a company called REI, and they just they they they're an outdoor um, you know uh, manufacturer of like you know outdoor products, camping and stuff like that, and. Um, they're a, uh, amazing brand and they, they, they broke ground on something like a $50 million headquarter, uh, um, back in January and it wasn't quite complete. And they decided, you know what, we don't really need it. You know, we, we've been, we, we can really truly work remotely as, as, a, as a company. And so they, they sold their headquarters that they didn't even move into. And so. I think there's an amazing opportunity for us to rethink how we work, where we work. Um, you know, video conferencing is is not is not great, unfortunately, and I still think that people need to be face to face when it comes to doing a uh, real business. Um, you still need to look someone in the eye and understand, you know, what type of person they are and and have have, have that 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 real world experience. And so I think at least sales and you know, I think lots of investments and partnerships, I, I still think they're going to have to be done in person because without that, you just, you know, you lose that human interface. And I think that's critical in business. Um, but that being said, I think a lot of the functionality uh, and I, I think a lot of the actual the doing um, is, is, is can be done remotely. remotely. I mean, manufacturing, of course, you know, even at SkyX, you know, you, you, people still have to be together and building stuff. Um, so, you know, that's, that's really hard to replicate, um, you know, remotely, it's not doable. Um, but there are some functions within the business that I think will definitely always be remote now from now on. I think, you know, certainly, I mean, sales and marketing have always been remote type functions and I think they can, they can even go, you know, more remote. Um, but, uh, you know, I think some of these other kind of, you know, customer success roles, customer support roles. You know that that whole uh, the whole concept of pushing that out, either crowdsourcing it or or, or doing remote uh, workers instead of having you know you know fifty or hundred people in in a room answering phones. I think that's a dead model. So I think that um, you know uh, as long as people can work and not have you know their dogs barking <laughs> every fifteen minutes or you know kids crying or or chaos happening, if they can find a quiet space in there in their environment to work. I think you can work anywhere from now on. So, so I think COVID just demonstrated the ability and the, the human spirit and the, the passion energy to be able to be productive 
uh, when you're when you're not in an office. Um, so I think that those are some of the lessons that we've learned and some of the things that we'll take with us from this whole experience. Awesome. Um, and to end off, if you had to leave our listeners with one or two key takeaways from this conversation, what would it be? Um, I think that uh, everybody should, uh, in one time in their life, start a company. And I think everybody should be an entrepreneur. And I also think that you should be an intrapreneur if you work in a large company and not be afraid to um, take chances and to, you know, um, have conviction, be passionate about what you do. Um, I think that's really key uh, to make sure that people, you know, that, that, that you go through life and, and you're excited and you're, you're, you know, there's energy and there's uh, conviction. So many people go through life uh, just mailing it in, and I don't think that's a good thing. So I would say that my best advice is to, you know, if you're going to do something, you know, put your heart into it, put your soul into it. Um, have aspirations, you know, um, you know, be curious. I think Steve Jobs always said, you know, be curious, you know, and, and uh, you know, make your own rules to go out and go out and, you know, do something interesting in your life because it's, sh it's short. And uh, so take advantage of, of the time that what, you know, what, what you've been given, you know, your smarts, your, your abilities, you know, your network and go out and uh and and activate it you know even even with covid you know doing the stuff that you're doing angeli you know starting you know start start doing things uh that that you're interested in and that, that you know that can be good for other people sharing information for instance so anyway that's what i would i, I would uh, that's the advice i'd give uh, in closing awesome thank you so so much for your time today you're welcome you're welcome be good and i uh, will talk soon thanks so much take care Hey again, it's your host, Anjali. Thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode of the 2020 Show. We have some amazing guests lined up for you, from leaders at tech giants to founders, policymakers, and more. Be sure to tune in next Wednesday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, be sure to check out this week's sponsor, Startup Dojo. Startup Dojo is an online academy that is training the next generation of world changers. So if you are a student or you know a student who fits that description, go to www.mystartupdojo.com to learn more.